Hello, hello, hello. What's up, everybody? This is Supriya Mehra, your mortgage advisor, and you're listening to the Canadian Real Estate 101 podcast. More people than ever are building generational wealth through real estate. And on this show, I sit down with some of the top real estate agents, lawyers, accountants, and investors to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies that they are taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. In today's episode, I'm in discussion with Shalini Darna from Darna Accounting and Tax Services. She is a CPA, CA, and provides quality, value, and affordable accounting services, tax strategies, and wealth creation that will buy you freedom to concentrate on your core competencies. In this episode, we discuss if you should incorporate your real estate business or leave it under personal names, if and when you should look into incorporating, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get rolling. Hi, Shalini. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good, Supriyan. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this is round two with you. The first episode we recorded for the other podcast that I run called uh, Curators Club. And I am so excited to have you now on our new podcast. So tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, who you help, and how do you help them? So I'm a chartered professional accountant and I have my own practice based out of Mississauga, although everything that I do is virtual. It's a family-run business, so I work with both my parents, actually. My dad is a CPA, and both my parents are also financial planners. So what we do is more tax and wealth strategies for our clients, not just taxes, your typical accountant of sign here, see you next year. Education is also a huge part of my platform. So for anybody who does happen to follow me on social media, you'll see I'm always giving biz tips and tweets and videos because there's so much that entrepreneurs just don't know, but are expected to know. So I probably in another life was a teacher or should have been a teacher because (laughs) I absolutely love doing that. And I get the beauty of being an entrepreneur is that I can make my business what I want it to be. And outside of business, I'm a mom to two boys who are currently seven and three and full of energy. So yeah, they keep me on my toes. They absolutely do. I know how it is like working from home, managing two kids and a family during the pandemic. So kudos to you and every other mom out there (laughs) or parent out there. (laughs) All right. So today I kind of wanted to talk about, pick your brain about how do we structure our real estate investments for uh, tax purposes or even long-term purposes? So my first question is, say, for example, if somebody is just starting their journey, they have maybe one to three properties, maybe even five, I don't know. How should they go about structuring their investments for tax purposes again? Like, would you recommend under uh, just a personal tax return or uh, at what time or at what point would you say to be reporting them as an incorporation? So I guess the first thing that I want to talk about is what is a real estate investment. So real estate investments really and truly have two components to them. Most people buy a property and what they're really and truly hoping for is that they're going to buy it and sell it for a profit, right? And so the difference between what you bought it for and what you sell it for, that's a capital gain, right? So that's one element of real estate holding. 
The other element of holding real estate is what you do with it every single year, i.e. you're renting it out. And that rental portion is really treated like a business. You're collecting rent from your tenants and therefore you're allowed to write off certain expenses related to collecting those rents. So what a lot of people don't recognize when they go into investments, they kind of treat it as if it was you know, stocks or bonds or whatever that they're just gonna let it sit there and appreciate. But the reality is yearly, you have to report the rental income from your properties. So every single year, you need to be doing bookkeeping. You need to you know, record your rental receipts, keep all the receipts for all the respective expenses. So there's a business, there's like, it's kind of like running a business if you think about it. So there's the business element and then there's the appreciation of value element. Then when you're coming to how to structure it, there's a few different factors that we would take into consideration. The first one being how many properties do you own? One property versus five properties is a very different tax strategy approach. When we're trying to minimize taxes, we need to look at what your total taxable income is on the personal side. The reason why people incorporate a business is because you can defer paying taxes if you keep the money in the corporation. So if you incorporate a business, and it doesn't matter whether it's real estate or any other business, if you incorporate and you draw out every single dollar that that business makes, you're not going to really truly achieve tax savings because what you pay in the corporation plus what you pay personally are more or less going to be equal. With real estate, we have an added layer. So what a lot of people know is that a corporation pays a lower corporate tax rate. It's called the small business rate. But that only applies to active business income. And so for you to incorporate a property and be able to claim that small business rate, it has to be what they call active business income. So if you're holding a property passively, it doesn't qualify for that rate. Business income is also treated differently than, let's say, a capital gain. Right. So there's different things to take into consideration as to whether or not it's being treated as business income, qualifying for a small business rate, or is it a passive income? So with one property, we may or may not be able to justify saying that it's a business. But if you have multiple properties and you're actively managing it, and perhaps that's your only source of income, then there could be arguments to then look into incorporating those properties. But there's pros and cons. Um, most properties done through a a corporation don't often get a personal mortgage rate. You can speak to that, you know, it's so if you're trying to go for the small or the low interest rates that are currently being afforded to personal mortgages, well, a corporation is not a person. It doesn't get that same rate. So we have to balance a number of different factors when we're talking about how to structure um, a real estate investments. Okay. Sounds good. Now, Again, you already mentioned a couple of uh, pros and cons in terms of why, you know, you might consider keeping it under a personal name. But I guess my question would be, what would be a pro and con under each strategy? So if you were to keep it under your personal name and your personal taxes, what would be some of the pros and cons there versus if you do decide to have it incorporated or under a corporation, what would be some of the pros and cons under, under that scenario? So under the personal scenario, if you're, let's say it's a passive property, 
And under your personal name, whatever your marginal tax rate is, that's what you get taxed at. It gets added to your other sources of income and you pay whatever your marginal tax rate is. Whereas if it was in a corporation and it's deemed to be not active business income, so it's that's actually the highest marginal tax rate, which is like over 50%, right? So the single property would not benefit from being incorporated because unless you are trying to show that that one property is the first of many to be acquired and therefore qualifies for the small business rate, you would just be end up paying a lot more taxes through a corporation. So in those situations, then it makes sense for it to be under your personal name to get perhaps a more profitable or not profitable, a preferable interest rate from your banks. And you can still, you know, expense all the expenses, record all the revenues, but it's all done on your personal. One of the cons with the personal is that if there are other people investing in the property whose title and name is on the property, you actually have to report the property on each person's personal taxes, right? So if you have partners that are not in your immediate family, for example, that you're not like your spouse, right? That's easy to share information. But when you have other investors, that same information may need to get split into multiple people's tax returns. And that can add a little bit layer of complication to even your personal taxes when the same numbers are with multiple people. And sometimes those people are each using their own accountants, right? Right. So sometimes when there's multiple shareholders, we say, you know what, it might make sense for you to do a corporation because then it's one set of books for the property. And then we tax plan according to shareholder tax rules. When there's multiple properties, yeah, there's a big reason to want to incorporate the properties because depending on how much money you're actually making from those properties, it could put you in a much higher tax bracket. And again, this is where no two properties are the same. A lot of people actually lose money every single year on the rental part, and they just hope to, re to recoup it when they eventually sell the property, mm -hmm. right? So then we need to know, are you actually making money through these properties to justify incorporating, filing a corporate tax return, doing all the bookkeeping, it's more expensive to have a corporation than what you have as a sole proprietor. Right. Makes sense. Now, in terms of uh, capital gains, is there any difference from sole proprietorship, oh, not sole proprietor, but personal tax return versus a corporation? So if there's a property and um, somebody plans to sell it, it's an investment property, there is a capital gain structure that will come mm -hmm. in. Um, is the treatment, I guess, different if it's under a personal tax return versus under a corporation or it's the same? So the math is the same, as in the way that you calculate the capital gain is the same. The marginal tax rate that gets applied to that capital gain is going to be different. So on your personal taxes, we have like a laddered marginal tax rate system. So, you know, somebody in a lower tax bracket is going to pay less on a capital gain than somebody in a higher tax bracket. Corporations don't have that ladder. They're automatically in one of the highest marginal tax rate brackets. So again, if it's not active business income, which it wouldn't be, you're going to get taxed higher on that capital gain in a corporation. Okay. All right. Now, when you say more properties or more than, is there kind of a certain amount that you would consider that, okay, now by your fifth or 10th property, you should consider incorporating it, I guess? So it all comes down to 
what's your business, right? So if your business becomes property management, then even two properties is managing a property. But if it's passive income and you're not really doing anything with the property, I mean, there's people who buy land and they just sit on it waiting for it to appreciate, right? That's not active business yeah, by not. any stretch of the imagination, mm -hmm. right? So it comes down to what are you holding? What are you doing with it? And is there a business case to say that this is an active business, therefore eligible for the low active business rate or small business rate for corporations? But if you don't meet those criteria, then there, it doesn't make sense to incorporate. Okay. All right, Shalini. So I guess my next question is around HST. How do people treat or how should we be treating HST in uh, scenarios where we are renting our investment properties? So the criteria for HST actually depends on how you are dealing with the property itself. So for example, if you are doing long-term rentals, i.e. Um, you're renting out to people for more than six months at a time, typically, then we're actually not allowed to charge HST to long-term rentals. Okay. So there'd be no HST collected. And that also means that on your expenses, you would not be allowed to charge or claim back the, what we call input tax credits. Okay. But if you are doing more of the Airbnb type of setup, and Airbnbs typically only rent out like one month at a time, then it's treated more like a hotel. And you would actually be able to charge HST on your services and then be able to claim the input tax credits back on the expenses that you are being charged. But right now, so I, I use Airbnb because that's kind of the only one in that world. So Airbnb, like if you are going to use their website, you actually have to include the HST into your price that you give Airbnb. Okay. So it's not that they'll add it on. So a lot of people, when I tell them this, they're like, but when I go onto the website, they're not charging the HST. And it's because that the landlords are expected to put the HST into the price that they're posting. So it's actually kind of like HST is already included. It's already included in the price. Okay. Got right. It. But any, so if you're, it depends on the setup. So if you're doing the Airbnb, you absolutely can and should register for HST. You have to, if you're making more than 30,000 from those rental incomes. Um, but for residential properties where it's more long-term rentals, unfortunately you can't. And then the types of expenses you can claim also will differ depending on whether you have the Airbnb setup or a residential property setup. Okay, so do you wanna walk us through that scenario then? Like what are some of the expenses that can be claimed in uh, Airbnb versus uh, a normal rental setup? So an Airbnb just has more expenses that they expect you to be incurring. So for example, in between people, you might be getting a cleaning service mm -hmm. um, to, to clean everything or doing laundry for the sheets because it's like a hotel, right? So you're gonna strip the beds, you're gonna clean everything. So in an Airbnb setup, you can actually claim the cleaning service, for example, or any maintenance costs for the rented space. These are things that you would not be eligible for under the rental property on a regular basis. Obviously, if a tenant leaves 
and you get a cleaning crew to come in and clean it, sure, that one-off cleaning crew, but it's not an expense that they would expect to see on a regular basis. Um, if you provide any snacks, for example, in the Airbnb world, if you provide waters or chips or like a little basket of goodies to your tenants, you could claim that. You don't really see a lot of long-term renters getting goodie baskets oh, when yeah. they rent, right? So it's because it's that hotel setup and that hotel feel, those little things are actually able to be written off that you wouldn't expect somebody who's doing a long-term property to be incurring. For example, you know, cable and internet. If you're including it as part of your rent, sure, you can write it off. But for most long-term rentals, the tenants themselves are responsible for their own cable, their own internet, right? So the landlord can't write that off because they're not actually paying for it. The, the tenant is expected to pay for those things um, themselves. So it's little nuances like that, that um, an Airbnb just allows you to have, but then you're also expense, like you're incurring those costs. So it's not that you're just getting to write off something that you're not actually paying money for. Okay. All right. And is there anything that long-term rental can expense and uh, however, a short-term rental would not be eligible to claim that expense? Not really. Okay. Um, everything that a long-term rental property can write off, um, the Airbnb setup can. At the end of the day, what you need to ask yourself is how did this expense help me earn rental income? Mm -hmm. Right. And so as long as we can show that. And the other thing that um, is important to note is that the property also has to be available for rent. So a lot of people will sometimes ask me, well, I didn't have a tenant. Can I still claim things? And it's, the question is, well, did you have it available for rent? Was it listed somewhere seeking tenants? And as long as you can support that you were actively trying to seek out a renter, you can claim the monthly expenses. But if you never posted it anywhere and you were just kind of hoping somebody would knock on your door saying, hey, is this place available for rent? Then that's not an active property that's available for rent. Got it. So that's okay. another thing to take into consideration. That makes sense. That makes sense. So it wouldn't be like if your property has been vacant for a year, you can't necessarily claim expenses against it unless you can prove that you took initiative in order to rent it out and stuff like that. Yeah. So under sole proprietor, there's always recurring losses are always um, a highly audited account. So if you've got all these expenses you're putting through without revenue, you're going to trigger a red flag. Now, whether that red flag leads to an audit or not, you know, that's kind of the risk you're taking. But when you have expenses without revenue, the first question they're going to do is ask you, like, how are you trying to earn revenue? And there's an actually an application for profit test that sole proprietors are often subject to, but they can use that same application for a profit test against rental property to make sure that the expenses being claimed under the rental property are legitimate business expenses. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Perfect. Now, before we wrap up our episode today, are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? I'd say no two rental properties are the same. A lot of the times people come to me and say, so-and-so said I should do this. At the end of the day, we need to understand what your specific tax situation is. What tax rate are you in? What is your specific situation? And make a customized 
approach for you. Just because your friend has done it through a corporation may not mean that it's the right fit for you. So speak to your accountant, get that advice, and make sure that you understand the responsibilities that come with having an investment property, especially if you go the corporation route. There's a lot more administrative work required in terms of the bookkeeping and tax filing. Okay, fair enough. Well, thank you so much. Now, Shalini, if somebody wants to reach out to you, get connected with you, where can they find you? How can they reach you? So definitely follow me. I'm on Instagram at Darna CPA, um, same with Facebook. And you can send me a message under either of those platforms or email info at darnacpa.ca to book a consult so that we can understand your specific scenario and give you advice. And all these details are available on the show notes as well. So if anybody is looking for advice in terms of real estate or real estate investment, please reach out to Shalini. She is a great resource to be in your back pocket. Well, thank you so much, Shalini, for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. All right, friends. Hope you had a couple of key takeaways from this episode. If you are wondering whether incorporating would be the right decision for you, then I highly recommend scheduling a one-on-one with Shalini or her team. Every situation is different and therefore getting the right advice ahead of time is where you should start from. Thank you so much for staying with us till the end. Now, if you found this episode to be useful and can think of anyone who is on the fence of incorporating or is looking for some pointers about structuring their investment portfolio, please share this episode with them. If you liked this episode, then please leave us a five-star rating. Ratings are really important for any podcast as it helps people finding it. Thank you once again, and we shall see you next time.